The following podcast is sponsored by Structure Tech. Hey, you're going to come inspect our house. Are your home inspectors vaccinated? Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Structure Talk, a Structure Tech presentation. My name is Bill Ulrich, alongside Tessa Murray and Ruben Saltzman. As always, your three-legged stool coming to you from the Northland, talking all things houses, home inspections, and anything else that's rattling around in our head. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing the new vaccine mandate coming for private sector employees. So Ruben, why is this even something three people who inspect houses have an interest in? I know this seems to have nothing to do with home inspections, but if you're a home inspection business owner, it's a really good question because we're starting to get questions about this. Like, Hey, you're going to come inspect our house. Are your home inspectors vaccinated? And then I'm on Lenny's email list and I get updates from him now and then. And it's intriguing. And I saw the one saying that there's this new mandate for small businesses. And all of a sudden my, I'm just going, Whoa, I need to know about this. And lots of home inspectors company owners throughout the country are discussing this. Like, what do we need to do? And if we're thinking about it, all small business owners got to be thinking about this. And I'm hearing a lot of chatter from other people who are just employees of other companies talking about this. It's a big deal for everybody. So this is kind of a universal topic. And I figured if we could get somebody awesome on here who knows this inside and out, let's do it. Should we introduce who let's, our special guest is? Because uh, nobody knows who we're talking about. Let's but do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tessa, Ruben, and I know nothing about law. So today we have Lenny Leonard Siegel on the podcast with us, who is an employment labor attorney at Schindel Siegel PLLC in downtown Minneapolis. Just so everybody knows Lenny's background here. He's been practicing law for more than 25 years. He's a certified specialist in labor and employment law, like I mentioned, and he's got that certification through the Minnesota Bar Association. A little other background, Lenny did his his undergrad work here at the U of M and went out west and got his law degree from UCLA. And then for some odd reason, he decided to come back to Mini and suffer with all of the rest of us. Welcome to the podcast, Lenny. We really appreciate you making some time for us to dig into labor law as it relates to private sector employers. Well, thank you, Bill and Ruben and Tessa for having me. I'm excited to be here. One clarification though, Bill, we're not downtown. We are just outside of downtown. We're kind of the West End area of St. Louis Park. Oh, awesome. Well, if you want to fill in any gaps in your background there, I mean, what? how did you get into labor and employment law? Yeah, well, it's kind of a funny story. I went to law school at UCLA, graduated in 1993, and then worked for a law firm in downtown LA, where I started working while I was still a law student. I didn't know anything about labor and employment law. I never had taken a labor and employment law class. Um, I was expecting to be a business commercial litigator. That's what firm was going to hire me for. A week or two before I started the job, I was actually back here visiting family after taking the bar exam and things like that. My new employer called me up and said, basically, well, we, we really don't have room for a, another litigator. And so I thought I was getting fired before actually starting my job. <laughs> and uh, But the person on the phone said, but we do need a labor and employment attorney. And we think you'd be really good at it. And you'd really like it. Well, like most people are brand new at a job. Of course, you say, yes, I'll do it. And it's certainly been a blessing in disguise. It was a huge learning curve back then. Like I said, I never taken a course and didn't know anything about it. So it was a steep learning curve, but it really was a blessing in disguise. I really enjoy what I do. I like working with the businesses. I like trying to help them do things right. And then if they make mistakes, obviously I, I help them then as, as well. But it's, and it's constantly, it's fascinating. It's constantly changing. COVID and these vaccines and all that is just one example 
something I never thought I'd be dealing with. And here, here we've been now for the last, what, 18, 19 months. At that point, what can you give us kind of a time frame? Yeah. So, so when I graduated law school, so it was the fall of 93 when I started. And the firm in, in LA, I was doing more of the litigation side, not the advice and counseling, which made sense because I would not have known what I was doing if I was giving advice and counsel at that point. But then gradually I learned more and more. When I moved back here in 1996, I joined a firm in downtown Minneapolis. And then I got much more involved in the counseling side as well. And so I've been with big firms. I had a solo practice for a while and I've been now with this firm for geez, since 2013. And my plan is to be here till till I retire. So awesome. So it's been a good fit for me. Okay. Give me a just a little brief history of employment law. When did it become a thing? And it, it feels like in the early 90s or mid 90s, maybe that was pretty early on. It, it was. I mean, I would say lawyers before then practiced employment law, but it wasn't its own practice area. Now, we're talking about labor law, so unions and that sort of thing, that that kind of was its own area. But but most of the employment laws we think of it today, you know, lawyers did that, but it wasn't its own practice area. It's really with the passage of the Family Medical Leave Act and the Americans with Disabilities Act, you know, so we're talking in the 1990 timeframe, that employment law really started to become its own practice area, maybe a little bit before that. And so I kind of came in, not at the ground floor, but pretty close to, to the ground floor where, the, where people start looking at employment law as its own practice area. Thank you. That helped. So Ruben, you own the company, obviously. And we're talking today about vaccine mandates. What's going on upstairs for you? One of my biggest questions is, I know you have no way of knowing this for certain, Lenny, but do you see this as something that's going to be coming down the pipe for smaller and smaller companies? Because originally we just heard this is some type of government thing. And then I saw an email from you. I can't quote it, but it said something about if you have 100 employees or more, it's going to be a mandate. And is this the direction we're going? I mean, I look at building code requirements and they just get stricter and stricter. Like you need GFCIs here, then you need them all over the place. Is that what's going to be coming with vaccines? It could. I think we'll see how this mandate works. If it actually happens, I think there's going to be a lot of legal challenges. So I think it's still into whether it actually gets implemented. But but if it does, I think we'll see how it works. And, and if we're still in the situation with COVID that we are now, I would not be surprised to see them try to lower the number to 50 employees or some other number to get more people vaccinated. Okay. And what is currently required with the current mandate? What's going on with that? Well, the current mandate is not in effect yet. President Biden announced it on, I believe it was September 9th, and it was going to be a rule promulgated by OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. They would pass it, basically an emergency rule, called an emergency temporary standard ETS, but just an emergency rule that would apply to private sector employers with 100 or more employees. OSHA submitted its proposed rule to the White House Office of Management and Budget for its review. That review will probably go pretty quickly in the next several days, I would think, or certainly within the next week or two. Mm -hmm. And I would think in the next two, three, four weeks, we're going to see a rule get published. Until that point, we don't know exactly what's in it. We know it's going to cover employers with 100 or more employees. We know it's going to require that those employees be vaccinated or be subject to weekly testing. But there's a lot of things we don't yet know. And I think as employment lawyers, we're all anxiously awaiting to see. What about, I I don't know if you can comment on this or not, but what about for employers who have already mandated a vaccine? I mean, for instance, my wife works at a hospital 
And it's a big to do. There's people who feel strongly on both sides of this vaccine. And there's people saying, well, you know, maybe I can get a doctor's note. Doctor can say because of religious reasons or something, I don't need to get a vaccine. How does that all work? One thing I'm interested in is how they deal with those exemptions in this in this new OSHA rule that's coming out. And we'll see what they say. But generally speaking, Ruben, with regard to vaccine mandates, employers here in Minnesota can issue them. Some states, they can't. Texas governor just earlier this week or last week issued an executive order saying employers cannot do that. But in Minnesota and most states, they can. So even small, tiny employers, if you want to have a vaccine mandate, you can do that. But generally speaking, you need to have two possible exemptions. One are for people who have religious beliefs, sincerely held religious beliefs, or two for somebody with a medical condition or disability that prevents them from getting the vaccine. And we can talk more about how those exemptions work, but that would be the general rule. You have to get vaccinated unless you're subject to one of these exemptions. And I think employers who want to go that route just need to think about what's going to happen and what happens if an employee won't get vaccinated. And it's not for one of those reasons that's exempted. And, and what I've told employers, told clients, I said, think about what if it's your best employee who refuses to get vaccinated. And that person says it's not a religious belief. It's not a medical issue. I just I just don't trust the vaccine. Okay. What are you as an employer going to do? And that's your best employee. Are you really going to risk losing that employee or not? So think about it. Don't just jump into something. And does this violate any type of, I don't know, HIPAA laws? I'm using words I don't understand now. Any type of rules about disclosing medical information if I'm going to require my employees to show me their vaccination status? Yeah, no, the, the federal EOC, which is the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, which administers a lot of the federal anti-discrimination laws, they've came out and said, no, you can ask somebody if they're vaccinated, you can require proof of vaccination through the little white vaccination card that, that you get when you get vaccinated. That's okay. That said, if you do make copies of those cards, that is confidential. So keep it in a confidential medical file, not in someone's personnel file. You're not supposed to be sharing it with other people. If you ask an employee say, hey, are you vaccinated? That employee says, no, you shouldn't go the next step, which we don't want to do and say, why aren't you vaccinated? <laughs> and you can't do that because that might lead to disability information. Maybe they'll say, oh, I, I'm not vaccinated because I have this certain medical condition. You know, that's the piece you don't want to know. So it's okay to go so far as to just say, are you vaccinated? It's okay to get the vaccination card, but that's about as far as you want to take it with employees. Okay. All right. To go down that path even more, let's say I don't want to implement a vaccine mandate at my company, but I do have clients who are saying, I want to only work with a vaccinated home inspector. Can I legally just go out to my team and ask them, are you vaccinated? Yes or no. Is, yeah, is that a legal okay. question for me to ask? I think that's okay to do. But again, with the people that say no, don't ask why. Yeah. No follow-up questions. No, just no follow check the box. And I would tell them why. Say we have some homeowners, some customers, some clients, you know, however you refer to them that require people to be vaccinated, they're going to enter their homes. And so we need to know for that purpose to make sure we're assigning the right people to the right homes. So yes, I think you're okay asking that question. Ruben. And so if they say yes, can I do a follow-up and say, please send me proof of vaccination? Yeah, you can get that. You can get that card. Okay. You don't have to. You can just do it on the honor system if you want to, but you certainly can get the proof. But if you do, and if you were going to make a copy of it versus them just showing it to you, keep it in a separate medical file. Okay. All right. And then a follow-up question to the part about the religious exemption. Yeah. It seems as though anybody who feels strongly about not getting a vaccine, I mean, if they want to get their easy get out of jail free card, they just check the box that says yeah. it's against my religious beliefs. Yeah. Isn't that right? Yeah. You know, 
there's been a lot of discussion about some people who are using that uh, as, like you said, just kind of an easy way to get out of it. You just say it's a religious belief and therefore I'm not going to get the vaccine. Generally speaking, when you're talking about somebody's religious beliefs, usually employers don't ask questions. You kind of just assume that people are being honest about their, their religious beliefs um, and you don't go further. If, however, you have kind of a objective basis or factual basis, think somebody's not telling you the truth, you know, or that it's really just a personal belief versus some sort of sincerely or religious belief, then you can, can ask some follow-up questions and dig a little bit deeper and engage in this interactive process with somebody, but it can get a little bit dicey. And so one thing I would encourage folks to do is, is get legal advice on a specific situation. I should probably mention this whole conversation. Nobody out there should accept it as legal advice for any specific situation, in particular because with this COVID and now everything's happening, things are changing very rapidly. And so um, what we talk about today may not be accurate a month from now. And so make sure to get legal advice for a specific situation. Also, depending on what state you're in, it could vary. How Texas is handling things is much different than Minnesota, for example. So be careful on, on those issues. Well, Lenny, that's kind of where I wanted to go. This feels like a very sticky situation for a small company. Mm -hmm. And I imagine companies to just want to get out ahead of it and be like, I don't want to have to defend the opposite side of not having a vaccinated crew, right? I want to move forward with confidence. But yet, you know, what advice are you giving to small companies that are that are small, but they're big enough to have a wide variety of beliefs under, you know, they have enough employees, so they have they have a wide breadth of beliefs. What advice are you giving to them as they try to roll this out to stay in compliance with the law without creating a harassing environment for people who don't choose to get it? I mean, it just feels like this whole thing is fraught with potential damage. Yeah, it, it's very challenging. And one thing that's been unique with all this bill is, is we're all learning at the same time. Like the government agencies, the lawyers, human resources people, businesses, you know, normally like this OSHA rule that's going to be coming out, normally there's a long process and OSHA does rule. There's a public comment period that people can talk about it. It gets tweaked and changed and, and it goes on for a while. And then finally gets implemented. You know, a new law gets passed and there's usually some regulations explaining that law. Right now, everything's happening at the same time and everybody's kind of learning at, this, at the same time. So it is a challenge. And especially for smaller businesses, right? Your, your Fortune 500 companies, they have lawyers and, and HR people and what have you on staff or certainly on speed dial. It's a lot harder for your smaller, mid-sized businesses. But I think a couple of things. Number one, think about if you want to do a vaccine mandate. And if you do, make sure you've got the exemptions and have a process for somebody to claim a religious exemption or an exemption due to a disability or medical condition. So people know what to do. And then you'll know what to do at that point as well. If you don't want to have the mandate, and there's various reasons why some companies don't. Some just don't feel it's appropriate for a business to do that. Some are concerned we're going to lose too many employees if we do that because we're in an industry employment as tight as it is. We can't afford to lose anybody. Some are concerned not only will we lose people, but they'll go to our competitor then who does not have a vaccine mandate. So there's various reasons not to do it. If as an employer you're not going to do it, I think you really have to think about almost two sets of rules. What are our rules going to be for vaccinated people? And what are the rules going to be for unvaccinated? As an employer, if you want to encourage vaccination, you certainly can. So maybe you have some promotions. Hey, if people get vaccinated, we'll give you a, an extra PTO day or a Target gift card or something like that. But even short of that, what a lot of businesses have done is they'll say, okay, if you're vaccinated, you can come to the workplace, you can take off the mask, and you can meet in conference rooms and do all these things that we used to do 
before March of 2020. If you're unvaccinated, you can't. You have to wear the mask at all times in the office. You can't be within six feet of other people. And so, you know, you make it a little harder to be unvaccinated. And in that way, you're accomplishing two things. One, you might encourage some of those folks to get vaccinated. But those who really don't want to, they're still doing their jobs. They just have to comply with these different types of types of rules. I find law endlessly fascinating because what you're telling me is that sometimes it's as much about the process as it is about the actual written word or it's interpretation heavy, right? And yeah, yeah. and, and the, it's interesting to use the word process, Bill, because when you talk about an exemption for disabilities or even religious, you know, key phrase employment lawyers, HR people use all the time is an interactive process. So if an employee, for example, says, I can't take the vaccine because of this medical condition, and you know, let's assume it's all on the up and up for a person this conversation. As an employer, you have to engage in, a, in an interactive process with that employee. Okay, what accommodation can we give you so that you can still do your job? It is a process. Are vaccination mandates something new? It feels like this is being thrust on us now, but is, is yeah. this a new thing? No, I mean, we've had them for, I mean, I think the first vaccine mandate was the early 1800s related to smallpox. The Supreme Court addressed it in 1905, I believe it was. And the, the government could impose a vaccine mandate for, for public health and public good. The Supreme Court in 1922, I think it, it was approved vaccine mandates for school kids. Right? Kids going to school all have, I don't know what we're up to now, 10, 12 different vaccines that kids have to have to attend to attend school. So vaccine mandates are, are nothing new. I think what's new is seeing in the private sector, you know, how many jobs have you gone to when an employer says, I want to see your, you know, your proof of vaccine. But most of us in the private sector, can you think of any private sector job you've had where they've said we want proof of vaccine? That to me is what's new. And then obviously what's new here too is just because everything's happened so so quickly. So so that part's new. But vaccine mandates have been around for a long, long time. And is it typical for Texas moved quickly to step up and say, this is not going to work in our state. And I believe Florida did something similar. Is that a typical process when, when some sort of mandate comes out? And I have two questions here. Who, what jurisdiction typically is applying or issuing this mandate? And then are these sort of, you know, jockeying for position, these, this, this posturing, is this typical as a process like this plays out? Yeah. So on your second question, first, is it typical? Boy, I don't know, Bill, I, I think we're in unique times here. <laughs> and, you know, so much of this has become political, you know, whichever side you're on. And so I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of this, no matter what the other side says, I'm going to disagree with it because they're on the other side. And again, I think that applies to, to both sides. So I think that's a little bit unique. In terms of states like Texas, that you know the governor said no vaccine mandates for employers, which is going to run right up against this OSHA rule when that gets implemented, because that OSHA rule for employers with 100 or more is going to say you do have to get vaccinated. Generally speaking, that I think how it'll work is the federal rule, historically at least, would trump any state rule. But I'm not sure that's going to fly this time. And courts are going to decide. I, I imagine states like Texas, they have their lawsuits already written, ready to be filed. So as soon as this new rule gets gets imposed, those laws are going to be fine. And I think we will have to see what courts do with that. I mean, obviously, Texas is going to go to a Texas court. So they're going to have a, a hometown court that, that in theory is going to be more favorable to them. I think it'll be really interesting to see what happens. I, I wish I could venture an educated guess what's going to happen, but we'll all find out at the same time. I've got a quick, quick question for you, Lenny. I'm just wondering, yeah. who's your typical client? Because as you're talking, I'm just thinking like that, this is such uncharted territory and it's so complicated and mm -hmm. I could see how it get, could get really messy 
And for all these smaller businesses, like, you know, Structure Tech, we've got fewer than 100 employees. Like, how do we navigate this properly without the guidance from someone with expertise like you? So do you work with a lot of small companies that are less than 100 employees or you, you do? Yeah, yeah, Tessa. My, I mean, my bread and butter are small to mid-sized businesses. And, and a lot of people think in terms of dollars, I think in terms of number, number of employees. So, you know, most of my clients are less than 200 or 250 employees. And the majority are less than 100 employees. Uh, many are less than 50. Some are even small mom and pop size businesses. You know, I get a couple larger businesses, but that's my kind of bread and butter. And I like to pride myself on kind of being their, their outside in-house counsel, if you will, that they can call me, even if it's not employment, they can call me for other issues too. And usually I know somebody either in my firm or elsewhere that can help them. But those are the clients I, I help. You know, they're, they're clients, they don't need a lawyer on staff. Right. They need a lawyer who they can call when they have issues that come up. And, and those are kind of my bread and butter clients. You know, unfortunately, those are the ones who sometimes don't seek out the help because they see that there's a cost to it. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to spend the money. You know, I've often said to folks, I say, you know what, probably 80, 90% of the time you'll be just fine. The problem is you don't know if you're going to end up in that 80 or 90% crowd or the 10 or 20% crowd. And if you end up in the 10 or 20%, you're sure going to wish you had that advice up front. So I would encourage clients to, to call to get legal advice and to make sure they're doing it right. That said, there's, if you really want to do it yourself, there's a lot of resources online. The key is make sure you're looking at the most current because like I said, like things are changing so, so darn quickly make sure you're focused on the most current thing. And if, if you're in a state that disagrees with the feds, make sure you know which one's going to apply. Because it's not a defense later on to say, well, we thought we were doing the right thing, only to find out we're doing the wrong thing. For now some, you're back to the procedure yeah. of law. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, for some like business owner, small business owner, is there a good website to go to? I mean, it, as you're, you're talking about this, it varies from state to, to state. So do you have to go to your own state-specific website to figure all this stuff out? Or Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just speaking from like Minnesota, there's a lot of good resources out there. The Minnesota Department of Health website, for example, has some really good, really good resources. The federal government, if you look at the the White House website, if you just Google like vaccine mandate, you know, Joe Biden or White House or something like that, you'll get a lot of resources on, on the social rule that's that's coming out. So there are a lot of good resources out there that you can find fairly easily. Um, like I said, just make sure you're looking at the most current guidance. That's one issue with the internet is it's out there forever. And you don't want to be looking at something from six months ago because six months ago may not fly in this arena anymore. Yeah. Lenny, as it relates to small business owners, I feel a lot of them run their businesses with the best of intent. And oftentimes they think they understand law, but maybe not so much. Do you run into a lot of situations where you're cleaning up messes that could have easily been avoided had they just made that extra phone call? Yeah, unfortunately I do. I, I think what you said, Bill, is really true. I've always been the view that the vast majority of employers that I work with out there, they're well-intentioned. They try to treat their employees well. They try to do things right. But there's a lot of laws and there's a lot of places to get tripped up. And laws are constantly changing, whether it be at the city or state government level or because of a court decision that came out or the federal level, what have you. And so my view is they're always well-intentioned. Sometimes people just make mistakes. And we're all human. We all make mistakes. And then when you're dealing with something that's it's kind of foreign to you, you know, it's, it can be, it, it leads to even more mistakes. And so, yeah, I think a lot of them try to do the right things. They make a mistake. And it's sometimes that can help them clean up the mess for a low cost. Sometimes, unfortunately, it costs more. And it's, it's always kind of heartbreaking to say, boy, I wish you would have called me before because we could have avoided all, you know, you could have spent 500 bucks and avoided all this. And now you're looking at something that's going to cost several thousand with a much lesser outcome. So I'd encourage folks to make the phone call. And, you know, 
in most lawyers, and I definitely put myself in this category, you know, we want to try to help folks. And, you know, I mean, I'll speak for myself. If somebody calls me up and just look for 10 or 15 minutes of my time, I'm not even going to charge them for that because I feel like that's kind of me giving back a little bit to help folks. But even if it's more involved than that, I try to be, you know, reasonable with folks. And I, I'm, my goal isn't to go out there and just bill people a whole bunch of money. I want to, I want people to be happy with whatever I did for them, have it help them. And then maybe down the road, they call me up again or they refer me to somebody else. And, I'll, and I'll second that. I can uh, attest to the truth of that because that's how I got connected with Lenny. I had I was looking for a referral and a buddy of mine said, yeah, I know someone who's really good. And he's, he's a lawyer type guy who I trust a lot. And I ended up chatting with Lenny about this and he took a lot of time to give me a really thorough in-depth answer to something. I don't even remember what it was, but it was something I had last year when everything was shutting down. And I was like, all right, cool. Send me a bill, whatever. Really appreciate your input. Lenny was just like, nah, dude, it's cool. Let me know when you got a real problem. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. So he's, he's absolutely right. Hey, Ruben, do you remember when, when the COVID thing was blowing up and the whole concept of unemployment was going to be a thing and how do you report and who can get it? I remember we were, we were getting questions from the team or like- Th That's hey, probably what it was surrounding. That's probably what I was asking about. Certainly it was, but it's it's just so hard to give the right answer in real time without having Lenny on speed dial and be like, how can I answer this so I don't get in trouble? But yeah. Oh my goodness, Bill. When, when when we first hit with COVID and all the shutdowns and everything else, I was just getting flooded with questions. As you know, we're other lawyers who do the same thing as me, and we're giving the best answers we can, you know, in a really unique circumstance. You know, in COVID, we're trying to fit a, the square peg into a round hole. Right? You get all these laws that have been around for a while. Well, how does COVID fit into that? And we're all trying to give our best advice without real guidance yet from the government. Because they were all trying to figure it out too. It was it was just crazy, and I think we're going to see more of that again now with the vaccine mandates and these rules. And you know, I should mention too what we've been talking about is private sector employers. You know, there's there's rules now for for government contractors. Now, federal contractors have to have have a vaccine requirement that I think employees have to be fully vaccinated by December eighth. I tend not to do public employment work, but you know, in the private sector. I think it's uh, December eighth when they have to be fully vaccinated. So there's there's a lot of different rules for different entities out there. Does the public side of it kind of always eventually end up in the private side? Does it bleed over eventually once it's tested and vetted and so forth? Um, sometimes, but not always. Yeah, no, there's a lot of things that apply in the public sector that, that do not apply in the, in the private sector. I think maybe this is me guessing a little bit, but I, I think that President Biden, in his heart of hearts, really didn't want to have to go to a private sector mandate. You know, it's one thing to mandate it at the federal government level and that sort of thing. But to, to, to kind of reach into the private sector, I suspect was pretty uncomfortable to do. But seeing numbers get out of control kind of felt like he had to go go that way. You know, I, I just can't imagine he wanted to have to fight over this, but felt like he had to do it. You know, other people may disagree, but that's that's kind of what my gut says happened here. Can I ask a very micro question as it relates to this topic? Let's say one employee starts asking another employee about vaccination status. Is is there a well-defined point of you've crossed the line, now you're in a harassment type of a situation, or is it just a curious question? How, how does that work in the micro? It's probably not a harassment thing as long as the, the two workers are both kind of at the same level. It's not a supervisor subordinate situation. You know, if it's a supervisor or manager, then you've got issues because 
supervisor manager, that is the company I'm talking. You know, it might not be the owner of the company, but they're kind of in the shoes of the owner in, in a sense. But if it's two workers at the same level, it's probably not an issue unless it's repeated, right? If, if every day somebody's coming and saying, hey, are you vaccinated now? Are you vaccinated now? Are you vaccinated now? Now you might run into a problem. And as an employer, I did a blog a few months back on vaccine mandates, and I said something like, it's, it's kind of taking the place of, in Minnesota at least, of talking about the weather. Oh, are you, are you vaccinated or not? Right? That's it's almost the first thing people think about instead of how's the weather today. So, so employees are going to talk to each other, but it's probably not an issue unless it really is kind of getting obnoxious. I was thinking to myself when you're saying that, thank God people are asking a different question than the weather in this state, because it's just, it's so inherent. But this is just the, a conversation that's too fraught with it. A follow-up question. So who's in trouble in that situation? Say it arises to harassment. Is it the company? Is it the offender? Or is it both? So it could be both. You know, generally speaking, if it's if it's a supervisor doing it, then the company definitely has some potential legal risk, you know, as does the individual supervisor. If it's two employees kind of at the same level, the company's risk is lower unless the company knew or should have known what was going on and didn't stop it. And again, I don't want to scare people and say, oh, you know, your employees are going to talk. And not, not everything they talk about is going to lead to an issue. You know, if you think of it like in the sexual harassment con- context, if one employee is sexual harassing another employee and they're at the same level of organization, that's a problem that the employer has to get involved in. If you have one employee who's constantly harassing another employee about their vaccine status, the employer needs to get involved and stop that. But short of that, you know, employees can talk. It feels like it's an expensive thing to have to prosecute and you don't want that popping up in your company, but it feels like it's probably not going to pop up anyway because people are tough. A lot of times they just suck it up and, and take it and move on, you know? Yeah, but but as an employer, if, if if you feel like some employee is kind of being, I don't know, bullied is the right word, but harassed, bullied, what have you, as an employee, you do have an obligation to step in and do something and put a stop to it. As an employee, you don't want to be a defendant in, in a lawsuit there, especially, you know, Tesla was asking about kind of the smaller, mid-sized businesses and stuff. The one lawsuit can be devastating to a business of that size. It really can be. And, and even if you prevail, you know, the, the, the legal cost and the lost time from having to respond to it is, is really devastating. Negative publicity if you're a business that happens to be in the public eye in some way, it, it really can be devastating. So as an employer, I think you really do want to try to stamp that out to the extent you can. Ruben, I've got a question for you. I'm just curious, and you, you may not know the answer to this, but do we get a lot of requests when people are calling and scheduling to ask the status of the vaccination status of our inspectors? To the best of my knowledge, no. Basically, it, it doesn't happen. I think we may have had one or two. I'd have to ask mm-hmm. our client care coordinator team to know for certain, but I don't think so. I don't think it's really happening much, but I just, I want to be prepared if and when it does start happening. Right. Right. You don't want somebody to kind of stammer or hesitate through that moment. You want to have a just flowing conversation. Yep. We've got that covered. We map that out here at the company and gives them confidence moving forward. Try to be proactive about this stuff. That's right. I I think that's the key is having, you know, Tessa just used the word process, having that process and kind of knowing and you maybe you don't cover everything. You know, there's, there's always twists and turns that you didn't anticipate. But at least if you have kind of a basic process in place and you're being consistent and following, and I think that's really, really helpful. Lenny, if you're looking into your crystal ball, let's say we're having a conversation in 18 months. What what do you think is going to be the outcome of this mandate? Do you think it holds or is it just gonna move on? Yeah. So first of all, 18 months, I hope we're not having these same conversations. <laughs> That's if you asked me 18 months ago, I would have said, oh, I think in 18 months we'll be past all this stuff. And look, you know, here we are still. Mm-hmm. I, I probably wouldn't have said we'll be done with it, but I would have thought we would have had most of it in our rear view mirror and that hasn't happened. So let's hope the next 18 months we are. You know, 
I think what will be interesting with the this, this new mandate coming out, my guess is lawsuits will be filed and we'll try to get an injunction to stop it. What an injunction does is tells OSHA, you cannot enforce, you cannot implement this rule. And I, I think there's a decent chance that a court in Texas issues such an injunction to stop it. And then that'll very rapidly go up to a court of appeals level that then, you know, hopefully fairly soon will be in the Supreme Court. But when I say soon, it's still in the legal world. We're not talking you know, days, could be weeks, could be could be months. So it would not surprise me to see this federal mandate be implemented and then very quickly get blocked for some period of time. Individual states and cities can do mandates. You know, Minnesota, we're not likely to have a mandate given the makeup of the state legislature and the governor's office. You know, other states may be different. But I don't think we'll see that here in Minnesota. I often wonder about how much planning goes into these kinds of battles. Like you said, there's probably lawsuits that are already written up and just on ready to be filed at a moment's notice. Federal mandate too. I mean, there's so many questions about it. You know, you talk about the 100 employee threshold. Does that include part-time employees or just full-time? You know, what if you have 10, 15 employees in five or six states? So as a, you know, or 10 states, whatever it is. So you have 100 employees nationwide, but only 10 in the location. Are you going to be subject to that mandate? I think the answer is going to be yes, because as a company, you're, you're 100, but, but we'll see. You know, who pays for the testing and things like that? You know, the rule is supposed to say as an employer, you have to give employees time off, paid time off to attend testing or if they're sick after getting a, a vaccine, right? Because they uh, paid time off to get the vaccine or paid time off if they're sick after getting the vaccine for a day or two. Well, how's that all going to work? And who's paying for that? Is that, are you as the employer paying for that? Or is there going to be some sort of tax credit that the government pays for? There's a lot of questions we just don't know the answers to yet. And for a lot of small businesses that are running on margins that might be razor thin, Good luck. I mean, it's just so hard to plan for a rainy day in the best season. Right. And then you, get, you get this. You know, we had last year and even into this year, the emergency family medical leave and emergency paid sick leave that did apply to smaller employers. But that had a provision in there that the government paid for the time off. You know, as an employer, you would give the people the time off with pay. Generally, it's two thirds pay, but then you would get a tax credit. So you would get the money back from the government. Will there be something like that here? I mean, we'll, we'll have to see how that works because you're right, Bill, for you know, companies that are on razor thin margins as it is, how are they going to handle some of these added costs if, if they're the ones that have to? Yeah. Well, Lenny, I want to be respectful of your time, but I want you to be able to tell everybody how they can get a hold of you because I'm sure anybody, at least in our state, probably realizes that they're underrepresented to some level, you know, if they're a small <laughs> business owner. How, yeah. how do people get a hold of you? Well, the easiest way is to give me a phone call or shoot me an email. I'll give you my, my phone number, 952-358-7408. That is my direct line. So if you don't, if I don't answer, you'll get right to my voicemail. My email is lsegal at shindlesegal.com. That's spelled L-S as in Sam, E-G-A-L at S-C-H-I-N-D-E-L-S-E-G-A-L.com. lsegal at shindlesegal.com. If you forget all about that, just jump on the website, shindlesegal.com or Google my name. You know, Lenny Siegel, Minnesota attorney, you'll, you'll find me. So awesome. no, or obviously people can reach out to the three of you as well if, if they uh, want my contact info. Yeah. Protect yourself. I mean, uh, it's hard to put the genie back in the bottle. So ask the questions. And if it's awesome to hear that you're willing to at least entertain the questions and then be like, yeah, this is something we need to talk more about or yeah. give you that advice. So, and, and I should mention, Bill, if people want to get, Ruben mentioned the, the email list. I don't send out a ton of them. 
the group can test to that. I, no, you know, he doesn't. No, we all get flooded with emails all the time, and at some point, you kind of ignore them. I, I try not to do that. I, I try to only send if there's some real significant legal development that I think would impact my clients. Generally speaking, you know, the small and mid-sized businesses. So if you want to get added to that list, to just shoot me an email, and I'll get you on that that list. Yeah, they're not marketing emails. These are just emails with important updates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can attest to that too. I love the value-based communication. That's awesome. Well, thank you again, Lenny. We really appreciate it. And for everybody else, do your homework. Make sure you're covered. Make sure you've got all of your uh, flanks well protected. (laughs) Or both of them. I guess you only have two of them. So, But uh, Lenny, thank you for your time today. It was awesome to dig into this subject with you. I find law endlessly fascinating. Most lawyers give the same answer Tessa gives to everything, which is it depends. Um, (laughs) so complicated. I need more information and then I can give you a better answer. So, but sometimes I give the answer, Bill, but it it, it depends on the situation then. (laughs) Oh, there it is. (laughs) There you have it. Those are the last words for our podcast today. You've been listening to Structure Talk, a Structure Tech presentation. My name is Bill Ulrich alongside Tessa Murray and Ruben Saltzman. Thank you very much for listening. Reach out to Lenny if you have any questions. We will catch you next time. For more information on how we can provide you with the right information about your home before you buy or sell, contact us at StructureTech.com.